0: That instinctual reaction is usually right. And it, it was just one of those pieces I will never forget. That, no matter what language we're in, is the same. And I love that. I love that, right? When are we really in the new normal? So I don't know the answer to that. But that is on my mind all the time.
1: Hello and welcome to the Theatre Art Life Podcast, sponsored by CLEARCOM. CLEARCOM is the leader in voice communications for theatre and the performing arts. From the Broadway stage to the West End to Cirque du Soleil, CLEARCOM brings seamless communication solutions to your stage. The Theatre Art Life Podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world the culture creators, and the backstage masters. My name is Kat Landry. Welcome to our LDI special. In our LDI series, we are welcoming people who will be speaking or exhibiting at this year's LDI show running from November 14th to 20th at the Las Vegas Convention Center. Today, our guest is Al Crawford, the general manager of City Theatrical. Al has worked globally in a broad variety of genres with vast experience in the fields of dance, touring, live events, film, video, and theatrical consultation. He has been an entrepreneur and a manager of teams that support the creation and implementation of new lighting and scenic projects worldwide. He currently uses his keen problem-solving skills, people and project management techniques, and vast understanding of the unique needs of lighting professionals and the entertainment industry as a whole to lead City Theatrical in his role as general manager. Al, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much. I am honored to be here.
1: Al, you have had such an incredible and varied career so far. I'd love to delve a little bit deeper into each of your experiences, but first, it would be great to hear you talk about the journey that you've taken in your own words. Could you tell us a little bit about where you started and how you got to where you are now?
0: I would love to. I've always been fascinated with storytelling. Uh, Really, as a young person growing up, uh, I grew up in a family that was very much uh, around the arts and around music and and theater and visual art. Uh, my father is a, a great musician, and so that environment was part of my childhood. Um, being around artists, being around people that were telling their stories in different ways, uh, so it became part of my DNA. It became part of um, a huge part of who I was as a young person. I eventually had the opportunity to study. I went to a place called Interlochen up in northern Michigan uh, where I was studying visual art and theater and dance and a lot of different things. And I had had some amazing mentors during that time, uh, both in theater and and in dance and in visual art. And I I had a uh, kind of an epiphany as a young person trying to figure out how I was going to put all these things together. And I had a great teacher who said to me, you should take a lighting class. And I didn't quite understand it at the time, but what I realized was that light actually was going to allow me to tie all of these passions together, you know, from music to visual art to theater, storytelling in a way that I didn't really understand quite yet. But with time, I realized that it, it actually uh, was going to allow me to work in all these different genres that I love so much. So I began studying lighting. I went to the North Carolina School of the Arts, uh, for lighting design for college, for my undergrad, I uh, graduated from there during that time. I fell in love with modern dance, contemporary dance in general, and in particular a dance company. uh you might have heard of them alvin Ailey american dance theater <laughs> uh, i <Yes. laughs> you know I saw them i great I saw them in new york and i was I was literally thrown on my back. I'd never seen anything with that level of clarity, p- production value uh dedication on every, every turn from the, from the dancers to the music, to the presentation in general. I just, I had never seen anything like it. So, you know, in the process of becoming uh, a lighting artist and a designer, I fell in love with dance. And, um, you know, I thought, how, how did, you know, who does that? Who gets to travel with them? Um, and so as I learned more and more, I realized that that was the company I thought would be really comfortable for me You know, a place that I would be passionate about, maybe not comfortable uh, quite quite at the beginning. But so I uh, worked really hard to learn as much as I could about the company, about dance in general, about lighting design for dance, tried to get as many opportunities as I could. Uh, And then eventually when I moved to New York, I started working for all the the past dance LDs that worked for Alvin Ailey. And so I would get as much experience about the Ailey company as I possibly could. So if I ever did get an opportunity to apply for a position, um, I might be as prepared as possible. So in oh, 1998, I was working at Glimmer Glass Opera Company, assisting uh, a dear friend of mine now, a gentleman named Jeff Harris. Who was the lighting director at Glimmerglass and New York City Opera for years, many, many, many years, um, and uh, he was connected with the Ailey Company uh, through his, through family and friends. And he uh, he told me uh, the lighting assistant lighting position job had opened, and he wanted to know if I wanted to apply. Well, of course, uh, I was ecstatic. He, uh, within forty eight hours, I was sitting in the offices of the general manager of Alvin Ailey, and within twelve hours of that interview. I got the gig. That began, ultimately, a 25-year career at Ailey, traveling around the world, getting the opportunity to light dozens of ballets for choreographers from all over the world. I think at last count, 65-plus countries. You know, Every major theater in the world uh, made so many great friends, loved touring, loved lighting dance. It was just a really great cornerstone of my career you know i eventually uh realized that you know i had some other voices that i wanted to express through lighting and so i created a company arc 3 design um that company about 15 years ago began to develop an aesthetic and a um a collection of of uh of partners and clients uh doing work annual jobs whether they were galas or birthday events or or installations, launch events for products, both corporate, not-for-profit theater, etc. And so that company uh, allowed me to do a lot of these other things that I wasn't doing while I was touring with Ailey. That continued to grow. Uh, Here we are 15-plus years later, and the company is still striving and doing great things. And then uh, I would say about 10 years ago, i would be i was at uh l d i and Plaza like many of us every year, and Gary fails, who is the owner and president and founder of city theatrical uh Gary and I would walk around the show floors of these trade shows twice a year usually, and we would talk about the future and if anybody knows Gary fails, they know he's a planner, <laughs> and he we had the best conversations about my career and his career and the company, but we began a, a long conversation about what it might mean if in the future I could have a connection with City Theatrical in the way that could potentially uh, be advantageous to the company, to him, to me, et cetera. And it became became a discussion uh, eventually uh, during the pandemic that became much more um, serious and much more of a reality, and uh, here we are. I am just coming around the corner on the end of my first year as general manager of City Theatrical, and I'm having a blast and uh, continuing to be involved in a, in a number of design projects just to keep um, my finger on the pulse and my, uh, my keen sort of eye on uh, the customer's perspective, but uh, I am I am running City Theatrical and having a great time doing it.
1: That is wonderful, Al. What a great story! I love that from the moment you first saw Alvin Ailey, you just started laying the groundwork to make sure that you could work there. I think that's I think that's amazing. Um, and you spent twenty five years with them. You must have worked on a whole array of of incredible projects. But do you have Maybe a particular one that you're most proud of from those 25 years.
0: Well, there are a couple. You know, my role was multi-layered, if you will, at uh, Alvin Ailey. My job as the lighting director of Alvin Ailey was largely, uh, yes, uh, creative in the sense that uh, I, you know, reproduced the lighting of so many wonderful uh, lighting designers from work that was created in the late 1950s through present day, uh, to contemporary works, um, et cetera, uh, from, you know, my, my job focused on budgets, on logistics, on the plots, on planning, on, on hiring people and training people and keeping our technology moving forward. Um, but, you know, occasionally we would have these Um, transfers that would come in, or large pieces that were very complex. And one in particular was a piece called Chroma, uh, by the choreographer Wayne McGregor, and lit by the most wonderful lighting designer, uh, uh, one of the most precious people that I know, Lucy Carter. And Lucy, of course, had lit it uh, uh, originally for Wayne, and that piece was coming to the Ailey Company. And it was a piece of scale, had a large scenic element, a lot of, of very detailed light. It was designed um, for the Royal Opera, never designed a tour. And the Ailey Company, if you know anything about them, they are on the road. This is what we do. We take the stuff on the road. So I was amongst our entire team, but I, I took this on as a, a project that I, I knew would uh, would need my focus. The touring Chroma and creating a version of Chroma that met the the vision of Wayne and Lucy and John Paulson, the set designer and architect, that we could tour around the world uh, and be confident that you know it's at the level that the piece was originally. Um, so that was that was one of my most favorite projects and processes that I was ever a part of. Um, and then I would say, from a design perspective, you know, eventually in the last ten years, uh, Robert Battle took over as artistic director. Um, and he had been really waiting to do a ballet for a long period of his. As he when he first came to the company, he eventually did one, and he asked me to to design it. And it was a piece called called Awakening, and so uh, we worked on it for about a year. And I would say uh, it was just one of those things where the moment you heard the music, before there was a single step, before there was a single piece of movement, you saw something in your mind about what it could look like and what it probably does look like. And fast forward a year later, it looked like that, right? Oh. And sometimes all those pieces of the puzzle just are super clear in your mind. You have the ability to collaborate. You have the ability to, to, to think about it in different ways. But you know, those first, that instinct, that instinctual reaction is usually right and it it was just one of those pieces i will never forget so awakening
1: that's a great piece of advice too follow that first instinct right you mentioned something that i find very interesting and that as a lighting director you're working on projects that may have originated from the 1950s all the way up to modern day how do you find the process of maintaining the artistic integrity of a show that may have originally been designed without the technology we have today that um, may have been designed using all conventional lights, for example, when um, today you might not find a high percentage of conventional lights in most of these touring houses? What What is your process like for a show like that?
0: Well, I will say the Ailey Company luckily uh, understands where they came from and respecting the past and looking into the future of what the company can look like or how it how it is presented to the world and they're not you know they they are respectful of that past and so as lighting directors and still to this day the existing lighting directors they're more archivists than they are technicians or lighting designers right they they are more attuned with museum uh historians in many ways and so so, incredible amount of work goes into uh, studying the plots, studying the fixtures, watching videos, uh, talking with c- the choreographers that might have been there, talking with lighting designers that might still be um, alive that were a part of pro- the processes. Then, uh, we're very lucky to have had and still have some of those folks with us from the fifties, sixties, and seventies. Um, and the Ailey Company invests in touring with that a conventional gear, lecos oh, okay. with lamps, you know, par backs, right? Now, yeah, great. Uh, I don't know if you know Al Rodella at 4Wall, and 4Wall's been supporting uh, the Ailey company for years and years and years and supplying the equipment uh, that they rent to, to them. But Al Rodella used to call us the antique roadshow because <laughs> we would tour, you know, still to this day, it's Lico's and dimmer racks and, um, okay. par backs and scrollers, you know? And so, And it takes you know hanging on to some of that gear to be able to create accurately the same quality of light, Um, right? Right. And I'm not afraid of the future. Uh, And and in many ways, you know, now what I'm doing is at at City Theatrical is being able to uh, try to, in some ways, predict the future through my own sensibilities, my relationship with my customers, and seeing you know how will what will be the tools of the storyteller of tomorrow. And so it's a great it's a great quandary to have gone through that experience with the Ailey company, knowing and, and going through that experience of maintaining, supporting, uh, protecting lighting design in that way. Uh, and now then being in a job where our job is to dream about what's possible for the future, you know, so it's a, it's a lot of fun. So,
1: And now a note from our sponsor. The Theatre Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by ClearCom. ClearCom is the leader in voice communications for theater and the performing arts. From the Broadway stage to the West End to Cirque du Soleil, ClearCom brings seamless communication solutions to your stage. You can find them at CLEARCOM.com. Go check them out. I think that's really beautiful the way that you've been able to embrace both the past and the history of the company as well as moving forward um into the future with the technology that we have today. That's that's very cool. I'm glad you told us that, Al. So, you have directed lighting in almost every major touring house in the world, which is an absolutely crazy thought, right? Um what what is I'm tired one thing just thinking thing... about it? <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I'm on tour myself. Uh, <laughs> what is uh, what is one thing that you've found to be the same in most houses? And what's one thing that really surprised you?
0: Oh, I love that question. Well, I'll tell you, traveling around the world, and if you're touring, you know this to be the case, but traveling around the world absolutely can influence who you are, right? And Uh, It teaches you problem solving. It teaches you communication, you know, all of those things. And to to use your instincts and time management and all the front. You know, one of the things I would say that is consistent is anywhere you go in the world, stagehands speak theater, right? It doesn't matter if they're Japanese or German or Swedish or if they're the Danes or South America, you know, You meet a stagehand. You know, in the morning, the guy comes from the back, and you're like, "Oh, that's a prop guy," (laughs) or that's the carpenter, or that's probably the sound guy. (laughs) You can always tell who the sound guy is. They got their hands in their pockets. (laughs) Just kidding. My best friend's a sound guy, so I like to roast them all the time. but, um, But, 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 stagehands and theater people, it's the same. Everywhere in the world, so you can always count on. At 10 a.m., everybody wants to go have a coffee break or a smoke break or whatever they're going to do. And it it doesn't matter where you are in the world. That's what you do in the theater. It doesn't matter, you know. Everyone's going to it hangs the light and plugs it into a circuit, and light comes out the front. And you put a gel in the front, you focus the light, and the curtain goes up, and the audience it, it feels something. That no matter what language we're in. Is the same. And I love that. I love that, right? In terms of surprises, I, I think that I I am a pretty open-minded person. And I would say touring, the thing I like to be surprised the most by is trying foods that I, I'm not comfortable with. Um, because on tour, food is usually the one thing that you really, really want to have some like consistency with, and it's difficult to you know, um, especially if you're touring a lot, you know, you just, sometimes you just look for that, you know, I hate to say the golden arches or whatever it is to like, because you know what you're going to get. You think you know what you're going to get, but I'm often surprised how much I love the food of different cultures. And I wasn't that open-minded when I first started touring, but now it's one of my favorite things in the world is embracing the food of different places. So.
1: I agree with you completely, Al. Um, I have another question about your life on tour. Um, so again, I'm on tour myself, so I understand the desire to kind of bring something with you from city to city that makes each accommodation kind of feel a little bit more like home. Uh, do you have something like that that you keep in your luggage to make hotels feel a little bit homier?
0: Well, when I was touring, uh, I definitely traveled with a lot more stuff than I probably should have. I was very lucky to have, you know, like a condo a road box, uh, that I, you know, kind of took around the world and could keep all my sort of favorite things in. But you know, I, I like to sleep with cert- like some level of air circulation, uh, and, and the sound of a fan. I grew up as a young person with a fan in my room. And so that sort of white noise. Um, is something that I would always need in hotel rooms because everywhere you sleep, there's different sounds in whatever city you're in, whether it's the air condition or, you know, the people next door or whatever it is that's going on. Um, and so I would travel with a fan and I would have a fan in my, you know, storage overseas so that my, the 220 volt fan was there ready for me when I came overseas. Right. Um, and so, you know, every, every room I would go to, I would always have a fan and plug it in and, and, uh, and have that no matter what. So,
1: It's the little things that provide some consistency, some comfort, right? So you founded your company while you were on tour, correct?
0: I sure did.
1: <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to, to start a company, to manage your company from the road? What was that like for you?
0: Well, you know, so many of us in show quote-unquote business are 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 born in the theater and most of us went to school for theater and lighting and you know whatever it is that we're we're focusing on Um, and then we eventually many of us even if you don't have a a company that is of scale or it's just you know an individual there's some element of business savviness that we learn and that we've got to do anyway to keep you know our bills paid and money coming in and and uh, uh, you know our our sort of um, uh, marketing of ourselves or our big or or the bigger company uh, we figure all that out and most of us don't ever have any formal training in that but yet we are working in show business and so I you know I I didn't know what the heck I was doing at all. Didn't know one bit, but I knew that. Uh, and my concept of business twenty years ago was, as a person in my mid twenties and starting a quote unquote company, was I needed to make more than I spent. Okay, that's a pretty good start, right? And if I uh, did a gig, and I had a show that you know somebody wanted me to do, and I was going on tour. Uh and luckily the Ailey Company was so, so good to me. You know, they would give me the flexibility to do things and and with time uh you know come and go. I had a great team there, so I I, you know had the ability to be able to take on some of these things that I wanted to do. But, you know, if I needed someone to work with me on a project, I had to hire an assistant. Okay. Well that's pretty normal. But then, you know, you get another gig that's happening the same week. Well, you might need two assistants. And then you might you might need a third because i had to go back on tour but suddenly now we got two or three gigs next week right and then wow okay who's going to write the check for these people who's going to chase chase the money right who's going to go and make sure our client pays us so the business began to formalize not because i knew what i was doing <laughs> but because out of necessity right, right right and then i eventually you know tried to understand what it is that I was doing and, and had some really great partners that helped me with the business side of things. And the company started to strive and and grow. And so, you know, but most of us start a business, our businesses of us uh, in show business with no clue (laughs) what to do. Certainly didn't learn it, you know, in lighting school. Right. And, uh, and so, you know, I, um, as that grew, as I was on tour, I I got, you know, it was hard, but it did grow. And I had a lot of clients that became very loyal, uh, and consistent. And, you know, people asked me, young people said, well, how do you, how do you know, uh, that it can be a business? Well, I started doing things that were not one-off shows. I didn't do a lot of theater. I did a lot of experience theater, social theater. So birthday parties, billionaires' birthdays, bar mitzvahs, weddings, memorial services, believe it or not, galas, fundraising galas, product launches. These are all things, mostly, that happen annually. And what I started realizing was that gig's going to come again next year. Because, you know, I guess I did pretty good. They called me again. And then they called me again. And then when you get about a dozen companies that are all doing two or three gigs a year, and those two or three gigs are happening every year, well, then you can forecast. You can actually look at your year and say, okay, well, this is what I think the company has the potential to make in that future time. And you can actually plan for things like insurance and studio rent and salaries. And mm-hmm. and um, I realized that I couldn't do that for me, the choices that I made, as well as a lighting designer working on in theater. And uh, I made that choice to develop that business for that kind of work because I knew that I could you know, grow that. I was passionate about it, but I knew I could also grow the business and make a, make a living doing those kinds of projects, right? So that that's kind of it. And then it just, you know, kept going. And, you know, I, I've been so proud of people who have come into my circles either through my mentorship program or associates and assistants that have worked with me and then with time eventually go on and become their, you know, their own selves with their own companies and do other things. And it's been great to see the successes of people who have spent some time in my circle, however long it was, right?
1: Wow. That's fascinating, Al. I love that story. I love that it wasn't that you you woke up one morning and said, you know what, I want to start a business. The business grew around you. It, it was pure demand for your own reputation and then keeping up with that. I think that's, that's really interesting. It's not the usual business starting story that you hear, um, but it seems to have worked out quite well for you. Now, let's talk about your current position. And um, so after 25 years on the road, you are now general manager for City Theatrical. Um, how does that feel? What has this transition been like for you going from tour life to living in one place and and holding this this huge job?
0: Well, you know, after you've done a career for many of us that you feel so confident in what you do every day and you love what you do. You're passionate about what you do, but there's something yearning inside that tells you that you are capable of a next chapter that, you know, this time you start checking off these boxes about with your own career. You, 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 and those boxes get higher and higher up in terms of the things that you want to achieve. Right? I want to design for this person, or I want to do this kind of project, or I want to hit this level of um, financial freedom, or I want to have this kind of uh, process uh, of, of this kind of project uh, so I can experience what that feels like. When you start to check all those boxes, you either run out of boxes or you gotta you have to navigate to an area where it's going to push you in another way. I'm the kind of person that, that wants to feel that I want to feel like I am still constantly learning. And I knew that uh, I would have a certain set of skills that could be compatible with this new position. Uh, But I also knew there were going to be a lot of things that I uh, did not know how to do. And that would not be something that was just, you know, I could rest on the laurels of, you know, my, you know, three decade career in lighting design and it just be, you know, that's how it would work. And I knew that going in, but I, I wasn't sure would I be able to once again, be a student and that's really what I have been in these last 10 months of this transition into city is a student of an, of in many ways, a new set of skill sets that I might have had certainly the base knowledge of, but now needed to really do it uh, in a way that could grow the company and be and help the company succeed um, and be a partner in that group of people and so uh, you know gary fail's amazing amazing visionary in our industry his company more than thirty five years now has been the absolute number one company out there creating accessories and custom solutions for the lighting um, industry you know to be able to work with him in the last 11 months uh, as you know his trainee if you will you know, it's been, it's been epic. You know, I'm in the MBA program of Gary failed right now, and I couldn't be happier because I've learned, uh, I learned so much. I am at the point now where I'm applying that knowledge in a way that, um, I believe is making an impact. Uh, and I'm, I'm so excited for the future. You know, our industry is coming back incredibly strong. I I have faith in, in our industry, and in not just lighting specifically, but, you know, across the board. I have so many colleagues that are leaders in so many different areas, and I'm excited to see them striving and their companies becoming solvent again and, and uh, successful. And, you know, it's a, it's a great moment right now to uh, be coming out of the ashes, if you will, of what happened uh, in many ways to so many companies. And so to be on the, to be on the leadership front of that is really exciting.
1: Yes, that actually leads really well into my next question, which what is the workload like right now, bouncing back post-pandemic? Are you seeing new patterns? Um, I know you've only just started with the company in the last year, um, but you have obviously been a, a huge part of the industry in the last couple of decades. What are you seeing right now? What kind of patterns are we looking at in terms of entertainment, lighting, the industry as a whole?
0: I think what we are experiencing uh and in, in many different parts of our industry is what we'd all refer to as the catch-up period. We are seeing projects that were in the hopper already for, you know, this 2022-2023 period. Uh but we're also, you know, people have all the things that they wanted to do in 2020 and 2021 and they're piling those on to the the things that they were planning for the future. So you know, in many ways, it's when things started coming back, they came back so aggressively that uh, it was a challenge in a lot of different sectors. It was a challenge from a recruitment perspective. It's hard to find enough people to do projects successfully. And that's across the board, from designers to stagehands to programmers. Uh, in my industry now at City Theatrical, it's welders and shipping and manufacturing management uh, and engineers, uh, to find talent in those areas um, becomes more and more challenging because um, A, there's less people to do the work, uh, and B, we lost a lot of people in the industry. A lot of people decided either to go another direction or to move or to retire, and so we're still trying to navigate what that means from a labor perspective. The pandemic set uh, the particularly manufacturing into a tailspin because of supply chain, so we're still catching up with resources, raw materials, electronics, microprocessors, uh, the cost of materials like steel and aluminum, um, and, you know, the the shipping cost, fuel, all of that adds up in the end to what it means to make a top hat, right? And so it, it, seriously, right? And so for us, you know, navigating all those things, as best we can so that we can meet the demand of these projects and our customers um, is what we will continue to feel. And I know that other manufacturers are feeling the same thing. Designers are feeling the same thing, trying to get staffing for their projects, stage hands for shows, et cetera. So my answer to your question is kind of a follow-up to the industry. When will the catch up be over? Right. It's a
1: good a question. year in.
0: Are we still catching up two years? Will we still be catching up? When will the catch-up be over? When are we really in the new normal? So I don't know the answer to that, but that is on my mind all the time.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of us would love to know the answer to that, <laughs> but it's, it's definitely, um, it's a territory that we are just figuring out. So Al, what will you be speaking about at LDI this year and where can people find you?
0: I'm so excited for LDI. This is going to be a really Great show this year because I do believe that it will be the show coming out post pandemic that everyone's coming to. I, re- I see already lots of manufacturers who uh, did not come last year will be coming this year. I know a lot of designers and colleagues, it'll be their first year back. Um, so I'm so excited to see old colleagues and new colleagues really at what will feel like, in many ways, a reunion of our industry. Uh, in our booth, which is booth 730. Uh, super excited to be able to talk with customers, new and existing, about what we're doing at City Theatrical from solutions in electronics, beam shaping, some of our um, LED tape products that are uh, being engineered and designed for other industries other than just theater, like architecture, film, and television. Uh, we have some new high CRI projects, which I know our film and TV friends are really asking for, and we, we know there's demand for it, and so we uh, are making sure that we have those offerings. Our multiverse wireless DMX has been embraced by industries all over the world. Uh, we're seeing the largest right now, as you know, the largest wireless DMX uh, show in the history of theater, Awakening at the Wind. Uh, just embraced our multiverse technology, and we are so proud to have been a technology partner on that show, and which recently opened. And so we're going to yes, go congratulations. see
1: Congratulations.
0: Yes. <laughs> so, so, uh, so happy to have been part of that um, in our own way. And, uh, you know, uh, just wanting to, to get the word out about how people are using our technology. Uh, So that more and more people can embrace it and uh, we can be their extended production partners, just like the rest are. So uh, it's going to be a really great time. We've got a great team coming uh, from our company that will be there that can uh, be experts in all different kinds of things uh, that we offer. And so super excited to see everybody.
1: Oh, that sounds great, Al. Sounds like it's going to be an amazing reunion for everyone. Uh, We have two questions that we end every podcast with that I'm going to ask you now. Number one is what is the best part of your job or the industry as a whole?
0: The best part of my job for the industry as a whole is my relationships with people. 100%. The thing I've loved the most is all the people that I've gotten to meet around the world that I have either become so close with for, from a, either a personal or a business perspective but what you become are trusted partners right i have people i trust explicitly all over the world if i need to have something happen or i need help with a with a project or i need perspective or i need uh, a technical solution i absolutely know who i'm going to call and i'm confident that i have a group of people around the world that will call me when they're looking for that too right so the that kind of true trust in your relationships with your partners around the world in this industry is the thing I love the most.
1: It's a great feeling for sure. And if you were to change one thing about your job or the industry as a whole, what would it be?
0: If I could change one thing about the industry as a whole is that we would be explicitly more inclusive. We are just starting to see uh, a next generation of young, non-white male uh, p- person in our industry. We're starting to see more women. We're starting to see more people of color. We're starting to see people um, that have different backgrounds, different experiences, uh, come with different perspectives. And I believe, uh, as a you know a forty-seven-year-old white American male. Um, that in many ways I have, uh, I've been dealt a series of cards that is easier than others. And I know that there are plenty of opportunities that should be given to a larger group of people. I try to support that in the programs that I've had personally through my internship program at Arc3, you know my relationship with the Gilbert Hemsley uh, Lighting Programs, uh, now the uh, Studio School of Design, Uh, Everywhere and every program that I'm a part of, we talk about inclusivity and uh, having a wider range and supporting a new group of people coming into this industry. And I think it's so important. And it is written in bold in large letters on my board in my office at City Theatrical. And uh, we're successfully already doing that at City in the last year. And I could not be more proud. And it will absolutely be a part of my culture. At City for the rest of my career there.
1: That's great. I could not agree with you more, Al. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. I appreciate it a lot. And go and see Al at LDI with City Theatrical. And thank you, Al, very much.
0: Absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Theatre at Life is a global media site for entertainment. Memberships start at only thirty-eight US dollars per year.